welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending January 14th, 2023. This week, David Zaslav versus Vince McMahon in a steel cage. Who you got? Injuries. <laughs> Society. <laughs> I'm Kim Hollis, the only one doing anything around the house this week. I have a doctor's note. <laughs> I guess. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, and someone who barely had time to say hello to Carlos Correa, much less goodbye. I hope I can return this jersey. (laughs) (laughs) David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride, streaming media analyst, and fallen victim to the rage virus. (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, whose will has been broken by David Zaslav. I don't know anymore, guys. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's talk about it. This week in the Warner Brothers Discovery Death Watch, Wall Street is liking what CEO David Zaslav is selling. After a rocky year, analysts are upgrading the company and painting a rosy picture for the company's future. They haven't listened to our podcast, have they? Clearly, man, Wall Street analysts are just the most fickle bunch based nothing on anything meaningful. Well, he cut cut costs. What else matters? He cut, he cut, he cut. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Look, making money is hard. Eliminating financial outpour. That is simple. Let's all do that. This news came at the same time that the company's CFO, Gunnar Wiedenfeld, gave a presentation at a conference. He said that the write-offs that the company had made were a reflection of an industry that went overboard and went on a spending frenzy. That's not false. He did say that the write-offs were over, though. That's no surprise, since there's only a small window during which a company could have done those write-offs in the context of the merger. Come January 1st, they couldn't do these tax write-offs anymore. So anything that they were going to cut or cancel and then try to just erase from the books had to happen by the end of the last calendar year. So, of course, these uh, write-offs are over. I mean, if he says the write-offs are over, we have to believe him, right? There's no chance they come up with something for 2023 that's a different way to save money by cutting content, right? There's at least one more show that we're going to tell you about in a bit that the speculation is that it has been scrapped due to these write-offs. But because we've been calling it dead meat for the past calendar year, no joke. The thing is that it has to be done by a certain date. It doesn't have to be announced. All these shows that disappeared from HBO Max that the company pulled from their production schedule that they locked up in the vault and never to be seen again. It's not like they put out press releases saying, hey, remember that Batgirl movie? Uh, yeah, you're never going to see it. This is simply based on things that consumers had to discover. What? The most important seasons of Looney Tunes are no longer on HBO Max? No one told us this. Folks had to go onto HBO Max and look. The fact that yet one more show has been pulled from a distribution channel at Warner Bros. Discovery, it probably happened at the end of the year and nobody even noticed until now. But look, Wiedenfeld's speech was basically a call for a ceasefire in the streaming wars. He called the streaming era a land grab as all the streamers tried to grow at the expense of profitability. We certainly saw that with all the streamers who were worried more about subscribers than profits spurred on by, yes, those fickle Wall Street analysts 
Dallas, who encouraged that behavior until finally something had to give and the bottom fell out. Suddenly, those same Wall Street analysts who were one day saying, well, how many subscribers did you add? We're now saying, how much profit did you make? Now, uh, as Wiedenfels pointed out, it's time to convert those subscribers into profits. And he suggested that the streamers are going to start charging more for their services, which his company immediately did as this week, HBO Max increased their monthly subscription rate by $1 effective immediately. Folks, I have a Fabergé egg to sell you. It'll cost a million dollars. Whoops, I just broke the Fabergé egg. Okay, it'll cost you $1.1 million. That's the thing. They keep (laughs) They keep pulling content and then they expect you to continue paying the same or more for that content. It's just absurd. Point of a land grab, though, if you think about it, now they've got the lands that are going to say we can do whatever we want on this land, whether they're actually running it well or not. This is barony behavior. And, you know, it's got its history over millennia, but now they're trying to do it in digital. And the thing they haven't realized is digital isn't the same as physical. Oh, my God, that's the entire point of this podcast and the people at Warner Brothers Discovery can't see the core concept. I have HBO Max on a 12-month subscription. I have the date of that 12-month subscription on my calendar so that when it expires, I'm canceling HBO Max. Right now, there isn't that much content on there that I haven't seen that I'm interested in watching. And there's very little on their their slate that's coming up that I'm all that excited about. And also, finally, the bottom line is I'm not entirely sure that the content I do want to see on their service will be there when I want to see it because it is... It's very unclear what shows they do and do not have. So until they can sort out this mess of theirs, once my 12-month contract at HBO Max expires, I will not be renewing Yeah, we have several friends who, I mean, one of them actually discussed canceling over the weekend. Kim, anecdotally, you know a lot of people that aren't coming back to HBO Max, right? I'm just noticing, I'm noticing a lot of people saying that they're planning to cancel um, or that they have canceled. A lot of people's contracts, so to speak, have come up for renewal and they're not renewing them. Yeah, we took a different approach. They were going to charge me X amount and we found what was a 50% off deal for a calendar year. So I just let mine expire and then Kim signed up. And that's the thing. When you keep raising prices on this stuff, but offering discounts, your consumers are going to outsmart you for the most part. They are going to say, well, we're not going to pay this when we know that you can offer it for this. Mm-hmm. And Warner's Brothers Discovery thus far is confident that they can win this game. And I think it's a show game they're going to lose. However, I, I am uncomfortable with the fact that we keep calling this the Death Watch because we need to be honest about the fact that while HBO Max will die, It'll die and become a new thing, which is going to be Max or some other name. And that will survive as a product because we're going to either see Warner Brothers Discovery sell or merge at some point down the line. So when we say Death Watch, we're talking about this one particular entity whose fate has been sealed by just absolutely reckless business decisions that are ruthless corporate raider nonsense. Yeah, the point of a streaming service with a back catalog is that you've got that content there to keep you satisfied until new content comes around. That is the essence of Netflix. People don't necessarily stick around on Netflix for new shows. They stick around on Netflix because they can pull up an old program and play 200 episodes of something and just have it play in the background as they're sleeping. That was the charm of a streaming service like HBO Max that had like a massive back catalog of old Warner Brothers content, like, I don't know, Looney Tunes cartoons. When that content is not necessarily around, you have to bank on constantly putting out new and 
appealing program. That is the paradigm for, say, something like Apple TV Plus that has to keep putting out marquee programs with big name A-list actors and creatives on those shows to keep you coming back week after week because there isn't that much content on the back catalog for you to watch. When the HBO Max back catalog is in flux, when things are constantly being added and removed and added and removed, it, it becomes a really weird streaming service, which is they are moving towards the Apple TV Plus paradigm where they have to constantly be putting out new and appealing programming. Right now, it's going to be The Last of Us. Oh, have you seen The Last of Us? Is everybody watching The Last of Us? It's very popular. You have to watch the show. Before that, it was House of the Dragon. And they have to keep putting out these shows. Otherwise, people will stop subscribing to their service because their back catalog is hurt. Their back catalog is crippled by their behavior. And so all they can bank on to keep subscribers on board is new, fresh content. And the moment that there is one show that really doesn't click, they're going to lose subscribers. Well, I mean, I guess this is a good time to mention this since you're talking about shows that drive the product. Hey, TNT, and to the uh, surprise of absolutely no one here, will not be airing the last season of Snowpiercer, which is exactly what we said when we did the math and realized that TNT only had one remaining drama on its calendar. So the network has already canceled the show. They said that they would have a fourth season. They won't. It's not even going to be airing on the network. It was the last scripted show under the TNT umbrella. So far from a surprise, but annoying. Nonetheless, it's going to get shopped around. It's co-produced by Tomorrow Studios, who could not be happier with it. I want to be clear with this. Tomorrow Studios, which is an ITV production house, is actually talking about sequels and prequels to the concept. And by the way, I would watch the prequel to this tomorrow. I want to see how they got on that train. So yes, there is absolutely potential for this franchise, but WBD thinks they can make more money not airing it than they will airing it. And that's just, they're raising prices, folks. I cannot say that enough. They think it's better not to air a high quality show whose production house believes in it. And that's how their plan is to make money. Yeah. Look, I'm going to get this off my chest. Wall Street may like what Zaslov is doing at Warner Bros. Discovery, but it's killing the company. I'll say it again. If Warner Bros. Discovery was reduced to just David Zaslov making lemonade on the corner for 10 cents and selling it for a quarter, sure, it would be profitable, but it wouldn't be Warner Bros. Discovery anymore. And is that what we want? I don't want to be the guy who espouses about the value of art in society, but this is literally a studio whose business is art. They make movies and TV shows. They are a creative company that creates content. There is a value to art in society. And when that art is discarded or lost, we hurt society. People want to see that content. That's why people are enraptured by failed TV pilots. Just look for content like the Mockingbird Lane pilot from Brian Singer or the LA Confidential pilot starring Kiefer Sutherland. Did you know this existed? Now that you've heard about it, you're probably going to want to go look it up. It's why there's such a rapid community out there for so-called lost media, canceling shows that have already been produced, locking them away in a vault so that no one will ever see that content. It's harmful to those who worked on the content and diminishes everyone. People who had an investment in this content emotionally and financially. It's why a creator like Mike Flanagan would still post his plot outlines for season two of Midnight Club, even though that show was canceled by Netflix. It shows a mutual respect between the creator and the audience, a recognition that the audience cared for this program and a creator who cared for his audience. We see none of that in what Warner Brothers Discovery has done. And I feel that as a creative company, long term, what David Zaslov has done is 
hobbled his company. When you are raising prices while cutting the value of the service, you're not doing anybody any favors, but your bottom line and the companies that do this, they can say later on, hey, we did this and this and this, and they'll try and rewrite history. But we were here for the history of it and we realized it was completely avoidable. This is just simply Discovery trying to buy a product they couldn't afford. And if they have to burn the damn thing down to make it affordable, that's what they're going to do. And they don't care who it hurts. And in our rapid fire this week, the Zaslaving of Hollywood is picking up speed. Netflix has canceled the animated series Inside Job after one season, going back on their commitment for a second season. At Paramount Plus, a movie based on the Adam Devine series Workaholics has been canceled just weeks before the start of filming. And at AMC Plus, the animated science fiction series Pantheon has been canceled after one season, even though the second season has already completed production. The only good news is that Minx, which streamed on HBO Max and was canceled just as the second season was wrapping up production, has come back home to Stars. Stars' parent Lionsgate produced the show and is bringing seasons one and two to their streamer. That really is good news about Minx. The show does seem to have a lot of potential. It's too bad it didn't get enough attention on HBO Max for it to have stayed there. But honestly, if Lionsgate is producing that show, I think it's safer at home at the Lionsgate streamer stars than it is under under the watch of HBO Max. So good for them. But man, canceling shows after production has completed, that's... We got to stop doing that, folks. Yeah, we've created a new normal here almost accidentally through sloppy behavior of David Zasloff and the Warner Brothers Discovery team. But it is leading to a fascinating side note, which is just this week, YouTube has decided they're going to experiment with Fast. They're going to try this free ad-supported streaming TV channel service, and they're going to do it using content from places like Warner Brothers, like Lionsgate, and even FilmRise. So basically, they're looking at this and saying, hey, we could benefit from the fact that these people are refusing to air the, their own content that they've already paid for. And when YouTube gets involved, that's when I pay attention. Now that the regular football season is over, we have data on Amazon Prime Video's Thursday Night Football. The live football games did not appear to meet expectations. Raul, what do we know? I know I made you say football three times in two sentences. Um, football! <laughs> yeah, I had remarked early on that after Amazon making a lot of noise in the first two weeks of Thursday Night Football, they suddenly went very quiet about how many people were watching their show. And there's no surprise about that now, because according to Nielsen, the games averaged just under 10 million viewers, although Amazon had guaranteed advertisers 12.6 million viewers. Even at that guaranteed number, that would have been lower than how Thursday Night Football performed the year before, back when it was on a mix of Fox, NFL Network, and Prime Video video combined. And that was an average of 16.2 million. So the year before 16.2, this year they promised 12.6 and got just under 10. It was like 9.8. So that is a rather dramatic drop in viewership. And in fact, I believe Amazon has had to do some uh, make goods with advertisers because they had promised a certain amount of viewers. They didn't get those. And so advertisers get either some money back or they get some free ads on other Amazon programming. Yeah. And that's why this is so messy in and of itself because the reporting suggests that Amazon averaged 9.58 million, but Amazon actually told its people, the ones who had paid for the advertising, that they had internal numbers of 11.3 million. So that's 1.7 million in discrepancy right there. I mean, it is not... 
an insignificant number. It's more than 10% of what Amazon is saying. So we're, we're in this phase now where you have to take people's word for things. And Raul actually said something offline the other day that was telling, which was Amazon basically paid Nilsson to shut up. And apparently the agreement ended at the end of the season or something, because that was the first time any data had come out. And I mean, we knew that it was not going to be great. And part of it wasn't Amazon's fault because, I mean, Kim and I have joked about this several times. Thursday night football, it's the worst football you've ever seen, isn't it, Kim? The games are bad. They're, they're yeah, just. Yeah, somehow they just not. managed to be terrible every week. And then they had the Tua thing with the concussion that was just a waking nightmare. And you look at this and you keep thinking to yourself, they had a 12 9 game. They had all these things going on. And Al Michaels has actually come out and said it was the worst set of games of his entire career. Al Michaels, who's 185 years old, said that. <laughs> so, you know, Amazon's timing was terrible on this and they have under delivered. And it's just whenever we talk about these new attempts to do fast to do this ad-based service you have to remember products matter and some of these products are just not living up to it and if you can't rely on the nfl i mean what hope do these smaller programs have yeah we speculate on just what it is that kept nielsen from telling us what these thursday night football numbers were we have weekly streaming charts from nielsen if 10 million people watched a program that, that was longer than 120 minutes football games are usually about three hours but let's say every one of those 10 million viewers watched for 120 minutes two hours that is 1.2 billion minutes 1.2 billion viewer minutes would have put you in those charts it would, heck it would have put you in stranger things wednesday numbers and thursday night football never showed up on the nielsen charts so what was it that kept those uh, that programming from showing up on the Nielsen charts? It's unclear. Now, Amazon has their own internal numbers. Okay, well, great. Congratulations on your pixie fairy made up streaming numbers. There is only so many different ways you can measure something. By and large, the industry wants to look at average viewer minutes. And what we're seeing is that there was about 10 million viewers watching these shows every week. It's not Amazon's fault that Thursday Night Football is usually just a show. And and the programming is terrible. The fact of the matter is that as good or as bad as Thursday Night Football was, last year, it was 16.2 million viewers spread across Fox, NFL Network, and Amazon Prime. When it went exclusively to Amazon Prime this year, it was under 10 million. So people do not want to watch Thursday Night Football on streaming. It is important to mention here the word yet. People don't want to watch Amazon Thursday Night Football yet because I'm old enough to remember something that just seems unimaginable now. But when Fox first poached the NFL live broadcast on Sunday afternoons, you cannot believe what a storm of a media frenzy that was because everybody was convinced that Fox had made one of the most regrettable mistakes ever because there was no way to financially justify it. They went out, they got John Madden, they gave John Madden incomprehensible check for a, a sports commentator just paid whatever it took because they realized this is the way we create our fort this is the way we start a base and we will build on that base so this is a loss leader and amazon has recognized that from the start however when you promise 12.6 you say 11.3 and it might, might be 9.6 you're not showing strength yet. So we will need to compare this next year to see if there is growth or at least hold. As quickly as we are watching linear television die, the hope would be the numbers would go up. But the fear would be the numbers go down. And if like 9.6 is the high watermark, we've got problems. 
Finally, as we alluded to last week, there's turmoil at the WWE as former CEO and finalist in the world's worst human being contest in astounding 20 years running, Vince McMahon is back, installing himself once more as CEO. Speculation is that he's come back to sell the wrestling promotion and rumors are flying as to who's going to buy it, but nothing's been confirmed yet. Yeah, this went very crazy this week in the wrestling world because... In a matter of hours, a what seemed like a distant third possibility became essentially became the news saying that a Saudi Arabian company had bought WWE, which just sent all sorts of shockwaves through everything. And then a few hours after that, news came out saying, no, that's that's not true. So people are trying to figure out exactly what happened there. But the theory may be that they were just floating the idea to see what the public response would be. And of course, it was not good because um, if that happens, I'll never watch a second of WWE ever again. But yeah, now there's there's all sorts of of rumors going around as to various companies. Comcast has been mentioned. Tony Khan and AEW have been a possibility. But basically, I think the determination apparently revolves entirely around one person. And if the buyer will still let Vince McMahon run the company himself, even after it's sold to another company. Yeah, we've got all kinds of notes here we can include. And I honestly, it's such a far-reaching story. I don't even know which approach to take, if I'm honest here. Um, the first thing we should mention is Vince McMahon left six months ago because he had done all kinds kinds of illegal payoffs that violate laws. And if the company goes private, he would no longer be subject to those laws because they're only for public companies. So what he loves the most is the thought that he gets to come back unapologetic after doing some heinous, heinous things and run the company again. However, Vince McMahon used to seed all of their quarterly stock reports with comments along the lines of the company would collapse without Vince McMahon. That's a real thing that happened. Just to emphasize how vital and essential he was to the product. And Tim, what happened when Vince McMahon left the company six months ago um at least the, the on-screen products became shockingly better and uh, more importantly <laughs> the stock price the stock price went up yeah. Yes. <laughs> we're happy they were no longer under the authority of that vile little troll of a human being with his massive ego. And so the WWE, which had a valuation of about $5.5 billion, is now up, to, it was up over six point three at one point. And then when this word came, it went out some more. So now the company could feasibly sell for $6.7 billion. However, reports suggest the Saudis are willing to pay $8.5 billion just to be able to sports watch this situation and to have their own thing on American television so that they can present their point of view. However, in that scenario, we have two other companies impacted who are Comcast, the owners of NBC Universal, the owners of Peacock and the USA Network, and we have Fox, which airs SmackDown on primetime on Friday nights. If this deal happens, then suddenly Fox and Peacock are very awkwardly married to the Saudi Arabian government, which now owns the entirety of the video wrestling library not even a joke like 85 percent of oh, all content of yeah, yeah. If, if it happened i mean if it happened in wrestling essentially before the year 2000 it's probably owned by wwe and then exactly. they do have a massive library of yeah of things from from this 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 century but yeah the the amount of video that they own is is remarkable and the other thing that's pertinent to this conversation is something we mentioned about aew a few weeks ago and that is aew has a timing problem in 2024 they're going to have a renegotiated contract to continue airing their product however because of what we're tracking with warner brothers discovery and all these other companies where they're suddenly cutting prices the huge massive contract that aew is expecting 
probably won't be that's there. not going to happen anymore yeah the same thought process applies to wwe and that is why vince is angry he cannot with his massive ego and incredible insecurity accept the fact that sports rights value might go down and here is the thing we haven't really discussed this much at the time but when fox agreed to air smackdown they were expecting ratings of five million viewers a week nobody could have realized just how much linear television would collapse but they're very very happy when they get 2.2 million a week now which Mm -hmm. sounds great theory on some friday nights they're actually winning the demographic and the viewership almost always the demographic so it is yeah with like with like two million viewers so it doesn't sound like great but yeah fox is surprisingly generally happy with how it's performing this is the point i was leading to we're kind of in a gray area here it has been reported that fox has lost as much as 150 million in calendar 2022 for SmackDown alone. That is how bad a contract it is. And they're estimating that that is only going to accelerate as linear television cuts happen, which means it'll be losing $166 million during the final year of the contract. What do you do when you're losing that much money on a contract? There's only so much of a loss leader you're willing to accept, especially in a dying medium. Renegotiations for the WWE contract are likely to come in much lower. Mm -hmm. Vince McMahon cannot handle that. So what he's hoping to do is instead sell and then say, well, I turned this business into an $8 billion business because then he can assuage his ego. This entire thing is happening because their sports licensing renewals are in jeopardy and he can't handle it. And it has messed up so many people. And we don't get into details very often, but there is a very kindly man in WWE named Sami Zayn who is Syrian and who does all kinds of charity work in Syria to make sure people are protected. Sami Zayn will not perform in Saudi Arabia when WWE goes there. And you have all the LGBTQ performers and you have all the female performers at WWE. If the Saudis buy this, it is an unfolding nightmare. And oh God, yeah. right now they seem like the most likely people to do it because they'll give Vince McMahon what he wants and he doesn't care about anyone else. And let's not forget, of course, any Jewish employees of the company. What would happen to them? Excellent point as well. And as a matter of fact, the most famous wrestler in AEW right now is probably MJF. He has been doing this, frankly, senseless gimmick where he's talking about the bidding war of 2024, Mm -hmm. which implies that he's going to, it gets heel heat. He's going to go to the competition. As a Jewish man, he is not going to go to a Saturday Arabia. Oh, it's WWE. Great. Yeah. This is a fascinating story. And the other thing Tim has touched on that I want to circle back to, I don't want us to get too far in the weeds, but Comcast has a vision here to make this not happen. And their vision is to merge AEW and WWE because they love them a monopoly. And it does make business sense because Tony Khan recently bought the entire Ring of Honor content library, which means that they would update. Tim specifically said everything from the 20th century. Ring of Honor is a lot of the stuff from the 21st century, including a lot of superstars now who nobody knew at the time. AEW and WWE is a paired set. Doesn't work well from a wrestling perspective because we just got out of 15 years of Monopoly. We don't want to go back. Mm -hmm. But from a business perspective, it would be brilliant for Comcast. And they are having CNBC push this idea on air because they own that product and they can tell their, their people to say the script. That's what they want as their end game. 
I want to go back to just a couple of things you uh, mentioned, David. I think one of these things is a reflection of sports rights maybe finally peaking in terms of their value. We saw, of course, obscene amounts of money being spent for NFL Sunday ticket. And before that, a number of other different sports rights, like Apple paid a huge amount of money for MLS rights for 10 years, for instance. But I think finally, it, we may be reaching this equilibrium where so much money can only guarantee you so many different viewers and that many viewers can only bring in that much revenue, we may finally be reaching a point where uh, we can't just keep spending more and more and more for sports rights, but it is going to probably take a couple of years for it to balance out. Yeah, it circles back to what we were talking about with the death of DirecTV and the impact on NFL Sunday Ticket. The NFL agreed not to embarrass a longtime partner in DirecTV by shopping around its stuff and signing a contract while DirecTV was still airing. They waited until really past the last possible moment. Because of that, it cost them as much as a billion dollars. Realistically, it cost them, I think, a minimum of $400 million. So that's how quick the bottom is falling out on this stuff. And that is why there is a belief that the WWE will have new ownership by June because they need to do it before it's time to renegotiate these contracts. And I also just want to go back to just the utter insanity that is Vince McMahon coming back as CEO for this organization. He left underneath a cloud and he left rather rapidly. Yes. Uh, I mean, there's been allegations about impropriety with women, uh, not only by him, but also by other people in his leadership team. And when he left, he left the company essentially in charge of his uh, daughter, Stephanie, and her husband, Triple H, the wrestler. And they seem to have done, as David pointed out, a rather good job of steering the company in the right direction. And now here comes Vince McMahon taking the company back. You could picture it with a pat on the head and I promise you a smack on the ass. Thanks, honey. Let a man take over now. And he pushed her out and took the company over. For the longest time, everyone knew her as daddy's little girl. Mm -hmm. She is pretty much the only thing in the world he actually likes, as near as I could tell, except himself. And one of the first things he did was when he came back a few days ago, is he pushed out her entire team. She resigned in protest. And now they've been doing this whole thing about who actually writes the stories for WWE. Yes, wrestling has stories, theoretically. Triple H has sworn and sworn and sworn that he is not going to give up the book that it is going to keep being him but they have the Royal Rumble coming up in a couple of weeks and then they have the Road road to Wrestlemania this is the most important part of the calendar for the WWE and there is a growing belief that Vince McMahon is going to be calling the shots sooner than later which means on top of everything else the on-air product is about to get just nightmarishly bad yeah despite the fact that they're literally running one of the best stories they've ever done on TV and people are terrified that it's just going to come to a crashing conclusion if um, Vince McMahon becomes ahead of creative again. We made jokes last week. I don't know if they made the podcast, but like you have either Vince McMahon during his time off watched Succession or he saw what happened at Disney with Bob Iger and said, oh wait, you can just come back? <laughs> wow, okay, I'm going to do that. The storyline Tim's referencing includes one Sami Zayn, mm-hmm. which means that if he suddenly found himself on the out, a two-year-long story at least would just die with no resolution which you know I don't even know what to say at this point. We've been saying things about Vince McMahon the entire 21st century, and it's like he is just putting exclamation marks and underlining them just to show who he is. And it's the old Tony Morrison quote, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Well, he's just done that by firing his daughter's entire staff. (laughs) All right, Tim, before we talk about the ratings, let's discuss the box office. 
Sure. And it's more good news, mostly. We talked last week how the first big release of 2023, Megan, came out with the Fantastic weekend ended up making thirty million, which actually beat the estimates that we were talking about at the at the time. Uh, but Avatar: The Way of Water was, of course, the the top film, even though Megan actually just barely edged out on on Friday, but it pulled in a weekend of forty five million, which is absolutely astounding. After last weekend, it had five hundred seventeen million. As of right now, it stands at five hundred thirty eight million domestically. And what where's it headed world, worldwide? It's like it's almost that going to crack two two billion worldwide. Is that it a is- lot? That's <laughs> pretty good, yeah. It it ends a story where Cameron said quite infamously that the film would need to finish top five all time to turn a profit. And you know, he was it's headed, it's headed there. Yeah. Exaggerated. Yeah. But right now it is sitting in seventh place all time. And I think and I'm not entirely sure. It needs two point oh six billion to uh get right with the Force Awakens for fourth all time. That's pretty much where I expect it to be. I think that we're going to wind up with an all time top four of Avatar, Avengers Endgame, Titanic, and Avatar 2, which means James Cameron would be back to having three <laughs> of the four biggest films ever. Yeah. They were discussing world, uh, overall world, worldwide box office. It's, it's actually domestically, it's yet to crack the, the top 10, though it's only a matter of time. The Barrier there is 623 million, and it's yeah, it's it's gonna make it's gonna make that, but yeah, world, worldwide it's currently seventh and probably headed to to fifth, which knocks out uh, Infinity War from the from the top five. But yeah, that's just absolutely ridiculous, and yeah, everyone was like hesitant after that slow start, but we were like, just wait for it, just wait, it's going to happen, and yeah, it it's it it's held its it held its own through the the holidays. It grew it, that week between Christmas and New Year's was fantastic, and yeah, this this is where you end up for the body of a decade. People were talking about how Avatar made absolutely no cultural imprint i know all the names of all the people who said that and i want them to apologize (laughs) publicly because that was an ignorant take that has been proven comically wrong i mean that is i once said albert pujols was a flash in the pan and that is not as bad a hot take as undermining avatar as a franchise I heard a conversation about that where, I mean, to this day, I, I'll wager that most people who have watched Avatar have trouble naming any of the characters, but that's not the cultural impact that Avatar made. The cultural impact that Avatar made was in conditioning people to want to see massive blockbusters in theaters. If anything, ironically, Avatar is the movie that is killing the small movies in theaters and driving them to streaming instead. Yes, theaters will be saved. They'll be saved by $2 billion movies. Everything else is going to streaming. Yeah. The other Avatar cultural impact that people didn't appreciate enough is for five years, it made people like me believe that we needed 3D televisions because that was going to be the future. And instead, (laughs) that was James Cameron's special skill set. But the man has such amazing ability that he sold five years of televisions. Judas Priest, guys. Mathematically, the odds of a person having one film in the top five all time is impossible. I mean, there's eight billion people on this planet. How does one guy have three of the top five? It's amazing. Underestimate James Cameron at your own peril going forward because there's we're getting at least one more of these. You know what? He proves it every time. What else can we say? This weekend, though, we, it is a holiday weekend. So actually, we're still expecting Avatar to hold extremely well. Seven million this Friday, still the, the top film. Uh, but we did have a big expansion of Tom Hanks, A Man Called Otto. Uh, mm-hmm. So 
Four million. Yeah. Okay. America's dad is still, can still bring in the viewers. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I don't even know what the heck that's, this is about, but yeah, it's just Tom Hanks and people will, will always see things he, he does. But uh, one, one thing, well, we, we love to kick them while we're down, as you can tell by our contributing mention of the uh, Warner Brothers Discovery Death Watch. But remember there, the two movies, they said that we're still going to release in theaters because we believe in them. Mm-hmm. And one was Don't Worry Darling, and that turned out great. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, what was the other one? Black Adam. Black Adam. Okay, I guess there was one more. Yes, the remake of House Party. Yeah. Um, so they put it out this weekend in 1,400 theaters, and it made 1.4 million on Friday. Oof. I think we saw <laughs> 1.4 million commercials for it. So that's just. I think so too. Song. Yes. <laughs> Come on, we. <laughs> Discovery Channel does reality television. They have no idea what they're doing with content. I mean, I've been saying this the whole two years this has been going on. He just keeps putting like little proof marks beside all of it. They couldn't have picked worse products to be the only ones to highlight. And you just have to laugh. I mean, we're actually going to get in a shot at Black Adam in a, a couple of oh, minutes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Too. As far as playing goes, playing earned $3.5 million on Friday. Yeah, and I'm just, of the opinion Just found that, that information, yes. Yeah. Playing play the, the movie that happens when no one realizes the working title until it's far too late. Yeah, I uh, I was just going to say, I think they should have just named it P-L-A-I-N. If they're going to do that, just be <laughs> honest about what it is. But uh, it only got a B-plus cinema score. It's Ooh. probably going to make a little over $11 million in four days. So, you know, another forgettable release and what's become just a series of forgettable releases. Yeah, but um, Megan's still going to do, do doing pretty well, though. That That is a clear big winner and a, a franchise go, going forward. It's going to probably be around 60 million by the end, end of the weekend. Can they combine it with Smile? Oh, dear. <laughs> that would be the creepiest movie ever. Wow. <laughs> Imagine seeing baseball games in the future and, and a, oh, a, a Megan it. character is just, sta- is just sta- sitting behind home plate smiling. <laughs> Megan robots. <laughs> The marketing is just, oh God, no. All right. But yeah, I mean, generally good news because we we love to see Avatar crushing it, Megan doing well, and we can always laugh at, um, you know, Warner Brothers for for House Party. So uh, yeah, should we head into ratings then? Let's do it. Okay. I'm tipping my fingers. Yes. Yes. (laughs) We have the Nielsen screen ratings for Monday, December 12th to Sunday, December 18th. Uh, A pretty quiet-ish week uh, before we get some uh, big ones uh, over the the holiday week, which will be included in next week's ratings. But to no surprise, the top show is still Wednesday, another 2.1 billion minutes for one of Netflix's most watched programs like ever. In, in its first you know month of existence would not have seen that coming like you know two months ago I mean not much more to say about it it's gonna just slowly slide down the list over the, the next several weeks but I, I'm still blown away by this by this performance it is definitely a huge wow especially for not like a second season it's it's a first season yeah it was brand, I mean yeah it was it was a it was a brand new it's show. Based I mean, on it, was, little, it was an existing you know. IP yeah people knew the yeah. family and the Wednesday character but yeah to, to pull on these numbers just um, basically out of nowhere is, is just astounding I mean if it had started with 2.1 billion minutes we would be raving about how well it did you know not that this is like it's third or right. fourth yeah this is a month later right yeah exactly yeah uh, Harry and Megan is up to second about 1.7 billion minutes for it's six episodes Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, what else can you can you say? The people love the stuff. They love the drama uh, between on the royal family and the whole Meghan Markle stuff. And so I get it. I'm just, you know, kind of mildly annoyed, but I understand it. At least it's not, you know, murder. We do have something new in third. This is The Recruit. Eight episodes, 925 million minutes. This series dropped on the 16th. So this is actually just a, a three-day number. So it might even take a, a jump next week. That's solid. 
This is uh, Noah Centineo, who got his start on the Fosters and who was also a feature player in Black Adam. And more importantly, it's an Alexi Hawley show. And he is the guy who has anchored the rookie on ABC and the rookie spinoff. So this was just a really good combination of talent. And we mentioned that this actually looked better than a lot of recent spy espionage type things on streaming. So I'm not surprised. Firefly Lane is for 672 million minutes for 19 episodes. More to come later this year as this show wraps up its second season. Uh, Something new in fifth, Sonic Prime. Eight episodes, 657 million minutes for an animated series based on the whole Sonic the Hedgehog video game and franchise. Sega! Who yeah, would have thought after right. after all these years when Sonic made his debut on the Genesis that he'd have two successful movies at the box office and now a Smash series on Netflix? I mean, on top of that, when they first revealed the Paramount movie look of Sonic, the internet had an uprising. I mean, <laughs> yes, it was the like, internet got oh. mad. They're like, wait, no, fix his teeth right now. Exactly. And, you know, like they had to delay that movie for many months and work on the CGI all over again. So it looked like a Doom project. And now it's like an anchor product for them. Yeah, the, the, the first Sonic, Sonic came out like a month before the pandemic began and, and did pretty well. And then it was, you know, we've already had a, a second film in, in theaters. So yeah, it, it's long after like, you know, what, what, 30 years after the video game that is released. It's a viable franchise. It's ridiculous. Exactly. And when I see numbers like this, all I keep thinking is Mario is going to be massive. Actually, yeah, uh, I guess, yeah, uh, I guess that nostalgia is uh, that nostalgia seems to be clicking. Unless it's really, really bad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Sonic Prime, by the way, came out on the 15th. So it's most of the week, but I think it'll it'll hang around uh, for next week as well. Uh, returning to the list in six, Too Hot to Handle, 425 million minutes for 39 episodes. The second half of its fourth season came on the 14th. They actually dropped the first five episodes the week prior. So a 10 episode fourth season uh, for these, these shows of just very attractive people who are not able, allowed to do anything unless the prize money uh, is reduced. Apparently, and of course, it always ends up happening because they they can't help themselves. And I guess that's the appeal of the show. I never watched it. I never will. Uh, something else new in seventh from Netflix: Don't pick up the phone. Four hundred million minutes for three episodes. It's a docu series about. Well, I honestly prank calls, but that's not exactly true. They're they're more rather than like being joking. They are. Like you said, prank calls, but where someone would call up a restaurant and uh, suggest that one of the employees uh, was was a thief and and terrible things were done to that person. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's not necessarily murder, but come on, people, still do better. Okay. Eighth from Disney Plus, The Santa Claus is 392 million minutes for it, six episodes, hanging around as it's brand new content and it's you know, Christmas time. So I get it. I'm sure Disney Plus is pretty happy with 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 this, and I wouldn't surprise for them to make more for next year. The Crown is in ninth, 389 million minutes for 50 total episodes and we wrap up originals with something new kindred this is from hulu 361 million minutes for eight episodes this is a a mini series based on a novel and the entire series dropped on the 13th it does look cinematically very strong i feel that it's got some potential for uh, some uh, some uh, awards love okay interesting okay so over in movies it is led by i was confused that it was here last week but Prisoners with 857 million minutes, you know, the, the 2013 movie. Why? I mean, it's strange to begin with, but it just got funnier this week. Yeah, it did. It's because. <laughs> 
it's it's especially funny that it's here because um we have something new in second and that is black adam from hbo max 632 million minutes wah, wah. <laughs> oh no oh no what number did you say 632 million minutes oh no yeah that's not great especially since it you know i mean it didn't do great in theaters in, in theaters to begin with it did you know it didn't completely bomb, but it was, you know, definitely underperformed. The smash uh, hit Black Adam with star Noah Santino. Yes. <laughs> and that other guy. <laughs> the good news is you can pay another dollar a month for HBO Max to not watch Black Adam. So that. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, there is a chance it's up next week because it did arrive on the 16th. So it is, this is just the weekend figure for it, but not a great start. Bullet Train, after uh, winning previous week, is down to third, 544 million minutes. Uh, Home Alone in fourth. This is from Disney Plus, 495 million minutes. Again, Christmas movie, not surprised. It was here last year. It'll be here again next year, I'm sure. But always takes takes a jump around the holidays. In fifth, we saw this next week. And thankfully, to avoid some confusion, Netflix, uh, Nielsen is now calling it Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, 465 million minutes viewed in fifth. This is on Netflix. And not to be confused with the Pinocchio production that was on Disney Plus. I appreciate the branding, if only so that folks don't make their small children cry. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably not the Pinocchio you want your children to see. Uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, this is also from HBO Max, 429 million minutes in six. At least they, they haven't gotten rid of their holiday content, even though they seem to just you know be throwing content off the service left and right. But this one's still here. I'll also toss in Elf in eighth, 354 million minutes. Uh, again, here because it's it's the holidays. Though I wouldn't be surprised for them to be like, you know, to license it out to someone else next year just, just to make more money and get people to pay for HBO Max to not have these movies on that service. I Believe in Santa is seven, 366 million minutes. This is another holiday movie from Netflix. Sure, why not? Uh, Home Alone 2 is ninth, uh, 341 million minutes. Again, holidays. And Storks is in 10th. We saw that return last week, 295 million minutes. Uh, acquired is 10 shows we've seen before, led once again by Coco Melon, creeping perilously close to a billion minutes with 959 million minutes viewed. The White Lotus is still doing very well, even after its season is complete, 902 million minutes for 13 episodes. This is one that I feel like the word of mouth really took off during the course of the season. Yeah, it uh, it's certainly getting a lot of love. I believe it got some recognition at the Golden Globes. It's somehow picking up momentum, even though the series has just wrapped. Yeah, it, I think last week is when we saw it take a, a jump with the season finale, but I think it gained viewers this week. So yeah, this is another winner for HBO. And of course, they simulcast it on HBO Max, which is why it's counted as acquired, even though it's a, a brand new show similar to House of the Dragon. Uh, Yellowstone still also kicking around too in six, 611 million minutes in six. But most of the, the usual suspects, you know, NCIS, Friends, Criminal Minds. Actually, you know what? I'll point out Criminal Minds is now credited to Hulu, 672 million minutes, because that used to be uh, on, on Netflix. And now here it is on Hulu for some reason, especially with the new series airing on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, uh, so long as Paramount+, Plus doesn't uh, allow itself to be metered on the uh, weekly Nielsen charts, we are not going to be seeing how well it's doing on Paramount+. Plus. Either the original episodes, which are clearly available both on Paramount+, Plus and on Hulu, or the new Criminal Minds Evolution series, which in fact premiered around Thanksgiving. So by now, mm. those ratings would have been available to us but they evidently yeah I, they don't want to be here i'm still holding out hope that maybe it happens next week because that's when top gun maverick would be eligible for this list and that's where you can watch it so maybe not not likely but i'm fingers across that that they finally allow this to to meter them and include them on these charts 
because that would definitely be a big one. Um, but yeah, uh, I said a pretty quiet week. Next next week, we will definitely get a couple new things, including Glass Onion. Emily in Paris will also have its new season. And I believe we actually may get an appearance for Alice in Borderland too, because checking Netflix's rating site, that one launched very well and may uh, land in the originals chart after its second season premiere too. So uh, that's what I'm looking forward to next week, especially with that Glass Onion number. All right. Thank you, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, as we mentioned last week, Netflix finally got around to renewing their smash hit Wednesday. No surprise here. Uh, if anything, the delay was probably due to some contract negotiations as, of course, MGM Television, which is owned by Amazon, <laughs> owns the Wednesday license. <laughs> it was never going to jump to Amazon. I'm sure Netflix had right of first refusal on this show. Maybe Amazon wanted a little bit more money out of the uh, renewal. Maybe they got it. Maybe they didn't. I think at this point, they're probably happy with whatever big bags of money Netflix turns over to them every month. One thing I realized in retrospect is that the character of Uncle Fester, if anybody has watched Wednesday, you'll recognize, of course, the appearance of Uncle Fester in a couple of episodes, who's played in the series by Fred Armisen. If you see the way he was framed, they were clearly setting him up for some kind of backdoor spinoff. The creators of Wednesday, when they were first talking about the show, were indicating that they were looking at creating some kind of Adam's Family universe. There has been no announcements made, but it sure seems like at this point, given the success of Wednesday, I think we can look forward to a Uncle Fester series and a Pugsley series and maybe an Adams Family origin <laughs> series. Yeah, we're going to get all the Adams Family out there at some point. But the comedy Mo, starring Mo Amer and Rami Youssef, will end at Netflix after two seasons. Yeah, this is something that's regrettable. Uh, there have been reports recently, it's a comment we've made in the past. As streaming services get tighter with their budgets, they're going to actually go more toward the majority. And because of that, we're going to see fewer multicultural offerings. And that that is a regrettable part of this. When you're only basing something on numbers, the people who have the most numbers are going to do the best numbers. And I'm afraid that this is just the start of something and it's going to have long-term cultural impact. Over at Apple TV Plus, Ruth Nega and Jake Gyllenhaal will star in the limited series Presumed Innocent based on the Scott Turow novel, which was previously made into a Harrison Ford movie in 1990. The wife did it. <laughs> we do love Ruth Nega, so it was exciting to see her uh, signing up for another prestige project at Apple TV Plus. I do wonder how they'll spice this up because while I loved that movie, I mean, I loved it. The The key part of it at the time was the unimaginable idea that the wife might have murdered the mistress. And that's basically everything you'll find on Discovery Channel at this point. So... <laughs> Over at Paramount Plus, they may have scrapped the Workaholics movie, but they are busy with other projects. They're working with Hasbro's E1 on a Dungeons and Dragons live action series. They're renewing Criminal Minds Evolution for a second season. And the Nickelodeon show Zoe 1 on 1 is getting a sequel, Zoe 102, with Jamie Lynn Spears returning. From the producers of Plane. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that Dungeons & Dragons series will tie into the uh, upcoming Chris Pine movie, Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. It would seem intuitive at this point. I do want to say we didn't mention it in our uh, Looking Forward episode, but the trailer to this Dungeons & Dragons movie looked like a lot of fun. And this is one of the projects I'm actually very much looking forward to in 2023. 
for me, the question becomes, if Stranger Things came out in 2016, why has it taken seven years for Dungeons & Dragons to take advantage? It's been a slow burn, but yeah, Dungeons & Dragons is a, it has seen yeah, yeah, quite a resurgence. Yeah. They're, they're catching up because yeah, it's, it's Dungeons & Dragons suddenly became cool over the, again, over the last five years, though Wizards of the Coast is doing their best to stop that. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm not surprised that just now we're getting like a renewed interest in like Dungeons & Dragons based uh, shows and, and another movie. Yeah, Tim's referencing the fact that Wizards of the Coast took a, a turn for the Rupert Murdoch this week with its uh, decision making, deciding that they would like to have all the money from everything that even incidentally references Dungeons & Dragons. But what we're looking at right now really demonstrates how something like Critical Role can have a really, really weird cultural impact. Critical Role leads to Stranger Things. Stranger Things leads to Dungeons & Dragons becoming awesome again. And that leads to Kim getting all of the Dungeons & Dragons books for Christmas this year. Uh, <laughs> it's just a fascinating watching the wave crest and fall. I mean, you know, I, I've been, I played Dungeons & Dragons for the first time in like, I don't know, 1983. That's probably why I'm so attached to Stranger Things. And I've seen these cycles. This is the craziest cycle by far. As always, we finish up the show with what's been keeping us busy this week. And David and I finished watching Mythic Quest Season 3. We were slightly behind. I think we mentioned previously that it, this season might feel a little more heavy. And I would agree that that's true in many ways. It's also still funny. The last episode kind of had me very sad or I guess not sad, but emotional for a minute. And then like turned right around and I was laughing within a minute. I love the show. I love the characters. I love Poppy and Ian, and I love how they wrapped it up this year. It kind of felt right. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Mythic Quest Season 3 as well. I don't know that I have much more to add to this, but yes, this season felt a lot more emotional. The plot felt like it was the writers trying to paint themselves out of the corner that they had painted themselves into at the end of Season 2. They needed to get to that final episode where they did things to address the final episode of the last season, and they got there. It just took some time. I really felt like the first three episodes, at least, uh, had a lot of trouble gaining momentum. Other than uh, standalone episodes, it didn't really feel like they were advancing the narrative at all. They did finally get around to telling some kind of story. I feel the Poppy character in particular hasn't really evolved much emotionally. She's still almost essentially the same character that we met in season one, episode one. They need to flesh her out some more. Ian has constantly added layers to his character throughout the seasons. We know more about him throughout all three seasons, and, and he seems to evolve as a person as well. Poppy just feels very, very flat as a character and not at all fleshed out. So I guess we can look forward to that in season four, which we know is coming. I don't know if there's going to be anything beyond that. It may well be a season four is the finale, but they got to the end eventually. It just took them some time. There was one very strong flashback episode along the way, but it was, as their flashback episodes often are, very emotional with almost uh, no elements of humor in it. Mythic Quest is often very strong when it's funny, but it doesn't have to be funny to be good. I think I wanted more humor than, than we got in the end, and I'm wanting to know where they go with season four. Yeah, I agree that it was definitely dramatic. I'll just go ahead and say, actually, I've got a back thing. I've been on Painkillers this week, so I haven't watched much of anything. But with Mythic Quest, I was in awe of 
of the resolution they had at the end of the season, it definitely wasn't as side-splittingly funny. They took a turn more for the dramatic, and I quite liked most of the decisions, but I'll also add that we were re-watching reruns of Mythic Quest, and the other day I woke up just in time to watch the F. Murray Abraham episode with William Hurt, and given what we know now about William Hurt's health at the time, boy, that, that episode from season two just, it is a gut punch and it is powerful entertainment and i feel like the season finale of mythic quest season three had something similar i i won't give anything away here but the relationship between ian and poppy evolves and i love the epiphany they both have and i feel that it is perfectly in keeping with what we've seen the past three years and i have a running joke with kim i have a massive crush on poppy and the reason why is poppy bears a lot of similarities to kim in the real world and it just it brings me joy when poppy is happy and it brings me pain when she's sad okay tim how about you i actually watched something called the traitors on peacock this this week uh, the series dropped on the 12th i've actually only watched the first three episodes so far but it's it's really entertaining it is 20 players uh 10 of whom are reality show veterans i guess you could say there's like a big brother winner some notable survivor contestants uh some real housewives and ryan Lockheed for some reason who is hilariously dopey and 10 just regular people at the beginning three of them are selected to be the traitors and we we actually find out who they are right away we know we know who they are I'll say unlike the mole where we, it's not revealed till the very end and then the group completes completes various challenges to add money to a pot and then each night um the traders select one player to murder and then they're they're removed from from the game and we find out when they don't show up for breakfast the next morning who was eliminated and then later that day the players all vote to banish one player from from the game and then they reveal whether they were a traitor or whether they were a a faithful so despite starting with 20 people by the second episode two people are getting eliminated each episode so it it runs down pretty quickly there's lots of twists and turns because immediately everyone becomes suspicious of each other unlike say the mole it's like no one is clearly trying to throw the challenge the traders have incentive to make it to the end because then they would collect the prize if they make it to the end of the game instead of any faithful but they all immediately suspect each other and then and of course, there's, you know, someone's declaring this person traitor and of course they're wrong and it's it's hilarious. No, everyone hates that person now and wants to get rid of that person too. So, and then you watch the, the traders all just like think it's hilarious that that there's all this commotion among, among the group. Alan Cumming is the host. He's clearly having the time of his life doing this because he's he's very entertaining. Yeah, it's it's fun. One thing that amuse, amuses me because there's, there's moments where they build up suspense and then it cuts to what clearly is where a commercial would be if I had commercials on Peacock because I, I have the ad-free subscription. So then it immediately comes back and then replays like the last like 30 seconds again so that's a little that's a, a little funny to me that 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 happens but i get it because most people probably have the commercial subscription version but yeah it, it was i'll keep watching it. it it's very entertaining and more among us than than the mole absolutely thank you for listening to streaming into the void please consider subscribing via apple podcasts google podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and we welcome your feedback remember that we're on social media at streaming void and online at streaming into the if you like what you're hearing please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.